Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. I think it was uh, 1983, the year I graduated from high school, that Michael W. Smith, Christian artist, released a song entitled Friends. It had nothing to do with the television show of the same name. It was a kind of song that, that made all the girls cry, talking about oh, goodbyes and how friends are friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never, but the welcome will not end. It was a song that talked about, painted a picture really of deep friendship that nothing can overcome. Neither distance or disappointment or time. Yeah, friends are friends forever. Yeah, the problem with that song is the word friend is just really never defined. I mean, what is a friend anyway? Is it someone you know? You talk about people you knew in high school and you say, yeah, my friend in high school. Were you friends in high school? I mean, did you do things for that person or did you just sit next to him and talk about monster trucks, you know? I mean, is that friendship? Is friendship about having stuff in common? And then comes along Facebook. They got 386 friends on Facebook. Well, I guarantee you that number isn't correct. <laughs> it's a whole lot lower because we may not know what a friend is, but we know what a friend isn't, Right? We may not be able to define it, but we certainly can recognize it. I mean, I have a friend on Facebook that I have known since second grade. I still am in contact with this guy. In other words, I read his posts and then I click like, you know, or I say, hey, way to go, man. <laughs> well, I don't know if anybody watching that would say, those two are friends. <laughs> I hope you have those kinds of friendships, though, that, that are real. You could pick up the phone anytime, and it would, it would be as if the distance between and the time that separated is nothing. Do you have a friend like that? Someone that cares what's going on in your life, and what's going on with them matters to you. And it matters enough, my friend, that you do pick up the phone, or you jump in the car, and away you go. Yeah, not just people you've known for a long time. Abraham had that kind of relationship. I, I surely hope it was with Sarah. But here in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham has that kind of relationship with the Lord. I mean, James chapter 2 and verse 23 referencing Abraham's faith, said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Oh, and here's also a little fact about Abraham. And he was called a friend of God. Imagine that. 
a friend of God. Are you a friend of God today? And what does that even mean? Well, I think we see some of that friendship in action here in this chapter. But you can always tell what kind of friendship you have by how you respond when you hear their name. And where they drop in for a surprise visit. And we have that opportunity right here, right now with Abraham and the Lord. So take a look with me in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1. Where we discover that the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat by the door of the tent in the heat of the day. A little bit of shade, hoping for a breeze to blow by. There's Abraham, picture him sitting on his front porch, and the Lord appears. And as we know, this is the Lord Jesus, because the Father never appears in bodily form. The Spirit never appears in bodily form, but we know that Jesus certainly does, and he once has appeared in the flesh. But notice, he lifted up his eyes, verse 2. And looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw him, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now there are two verbs here. Those are action words, if you've forgotten that, that describe how Abram felt about the Lord. Remember, this is an old guy. Not an older guy. This dude is old. I mean, he, is, he can see, you know, with one eye squinted, a hundred from where he's standing. And he runs. You see that? He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Boom. That is what I would expect. If the Lord appeared right here, we would fall on our faces. We wouldn't pull up a chair and say, hey, how you been? There's an awful lot of casual ideas about God. But God Almighty dwells in light and he is a great and awesome God. Angels tremble, my friends. And Abraham fell to the ground and bowed himself to the earth. We show reverence to God in many different ways. It's not always about falling on your face. I mean, that's good fodder for Christian music. I bow down and I, and I fall down and I get up again. And, you know, that's, that's wonderful. But how do we reverence God in our world? I mean, here we get this opportunity to see how Abraham responds to the Lord. Well, we notice first, he bowed down in reverence. But we show reverence to God by humbling ourselves to him. There's another word that's hard to define, but we know it when we see it. Humility. You know what humility is, my friends? Humility is not thinking less about yourself. 
It's not thinking about yourself at all, but thinking about others. Humility tends to show up in the lives of those who love the people around them. Humility. And so Abraham doesn't take a look around and see who might be watching. He runs and he bows. Living constantly and carefully in his presence. Where is God? You know, if you ask a child, that's true. You know where else he is? God cannot be localized. He's immense. There's no beginning or end of God. There is no place where God cannot see, does not know. You want to reverence God, you do it in your head first. Because what happens in the head comes out the mouth, demonstrates itself with the hands and its feet. That's where we reverence God. In our thoughts about Him. In our evaluations about what we do and what we don't do. And ultimately, my friends... Reverence is living constantly and carefully in his presence and obedience to his word. And so Abraham bowed down in reverence to God. But notice it didn't end there. It wasn't a bunch of big show for Abraham. Look at verse 3. Abraham desired intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. He didn't pull up a chair and say, how things going, Lord? But I'll tell you what. He wanted nearness. Friends, I hope these things are true of you. They certainly ought to be true of me. That we demonstrate our reverence for Christ, our holy awe of who he is in remembrance of all that he has done. That Abraham desired intimacy. And he said, oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant. He didn't say, behold, come and visit the great Abraham. Abraham knew who he was. A servant. Verse 4, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring morsels of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly. There's another word, no delay, into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, Three sayers of fine flour. Now, we all know what a sayer is, but for those of you who don't, that's seven quarts. I'll give you a moment to write that down. <laughs> of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. Not one of those weaklings that keeps running into things and falling down. No, he gave his best. And he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. 
and he stood by them under the tree while they were while they ate here's a man who wants to be as near the lord as he possibly can now you have heard me teach from this very location that the lord jesus is coming again he will return we know not when Are you excited about that? Is that something you look forward to? I remember as a student in college, I had a friend, we were talking about this. You know, people have different views about when and what's going to happen before and then after. And, and as students, that's what you do, is you talk about stuff you're learning. And one of my friends at school said, I really hope the Lord doesn't return today. I really want to have sex first. There's a lot of things you can understand about that statement, but one thing is certain what is misunderstood is how wonderful it will be when we see Jesus. How wonderful, how amazing, how whatever those words are that I can't come up with to describe, how incredible it will be when Christ returns. When we are gathered together with him. And we will see him face to face. And all of the errors in our thoughts about him will be cast aside. And we will see him as he is. How wonderful that day will be my friend. Abraham. And there he is. Standing as close as he can without being awkward, you know, wanting to be near the Lord. It's something that ought to be replicated in us, my friend. This longing, and I'll tell you what, if you don't have that longing, talk to the Lord about that. It may be that that longing has been replaced with something greatly lesser. A longing for something that never lasts. But there he is, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And perhaps this was the event. You know, here is the Lord, and who are these two fellows with him? They're angels, my friend. They're angels. And so here's Abraham, who's fixed a quick meal. Well, at least he delivered it. You know, he took care of it. He made sure it was there, and there he is standing by them, watching them eat. Perhaps this is the event that the writer of Hebrews had in mind when he wrote Hebrews 13:2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And this teaches us two things: that we are to be people of hospitality. Now, hospitality was a huge deal in the East, and I think it still is. I mean, you would be publicly shamed, my friends, if you failed to show hospitality to a stranger. But you know what this tells us also? It tells us that there are angels among us. And you know what? 
They ain't got big wings and a big sign that says, yep, I'm one of them. says you may interact with angels at some point and never know it. You may never know. But the truth about you will be known and how you respond to them. You think about that and you're shaking your fist at a stranger. Perhaps it could have been angels unaware. Well, my friends, we see that Abraham is bowed down in reverence and his desire is great for intimacy with the Lord. But you will also notice in verses 9 through 15, Abraham listened to the Lord's words. I mean, why be so close to witness an action of the Lord, to hear a word from the Lord? And I believe it is this desire that opened up this very opportunity for Abraham to know. Look at verse 9. He heard what the Lord said about Sarah. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, she's in the tent, working, of course. She has no time to be with you. (laughs) Okay, he didn't say that, but it feels that way, doesn't it? Why is she the one so busy and Abraham is... I talked about my wife, and that's what she saw in it. (laughs) And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, yeah, the 90-year-old lady in the tent, yeah, she will have a son. But guess what? Sarah wasn't working. Look at here in the the end of verse 10. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. She didn't want to miss a thing either. And she heard, remember, she's like 90 years old, right? And the Lord says, next year, she's going to have a son. And you know what Sarah did? Exactly what you might do, my friends. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, the Bible tells us, advanced in years. Oh, rickety they were. (laughs) And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So look at here in verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, (laughs) after I'm worn out, look at the descriptions that are used. Heaven, not flattering, I'll tell you. Yeah, so... (laughs) After I'm worn out in my Lord, that's a respectful thing that she says about her husband, he's old and I shall have pleasure. (laughs) And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And here is the thing that every one of us should hear. It is the truth that Sarah and Abraham needed to hear. And there it is recorded in verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer, of course, is no. If God says it, he'll do it. At the appointed time, the Lord continues, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son But Sarah denied it. 
saying, I didn't laugh. <laughs> For she was afraid. And we often don't tell the truth when we're afraid. But look at what the Lord says. Now, you laughed. And you know what? So did Abraham when he was told that to begin with. Abraham heard that he was going to have a father. He was going to be the father of a son in his old age. And he too laughed. But not in doubt, my friend. In just the absurdity of it all. We're too old for this sort of thing. Perfect. Then who gets the glory? Well, if you guys can figure it out on your own, you get the glory. But the Lord takes away every excuse for anyone to say, praise Abraham and Sarah. Oh no, my friends, praise the Lord. Well, here in verse 16, we, this, this, this event begins to end, come to a conclusion. And we see, then the men sent out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And what a picture this is. Here is Abraham. From the beginning, he has fallen down before the Lord. And he has run from here to there to serve the Lord. And he has listened in on the word of the Lord. And now they are on their way. And, and you know how this is with friends and family. You're in the living room and someone stands up. Well, we better get going. So everyone stands up and the con conversation could, you know, that reminds me of Ethel when she was only four. And the stories continue. And ultimately you make it to the door and you're still talking. And the next thing you know, everyone's standing in the driveway. And that is the picture here of Abraham. I don't want this moment to go. I'm going to stick and linger as long as I can with the Lord. And he did. And there they are standing in the driveway, so to speak. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Shall I hide what's going to happen? No, I will make it known. And look at verse 19. We have seen the Lord, or Abraham, respond to the Lord. Now we see Abraham's response to the coming judgment to come. Verse 19, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Big turn in the story here, my friends. 
the Lord has heard a great outcry of the evil going on in this city, Sodom. And I'll tell you what, friends, there's some bad stuff going on there in Sodom. And so the Lord has determined that he'll send his angels to go and check it out. We'll read about that in chapter 19. But the Lord sent an angelic investigator. And Abraham's response to this event, knowing that the Lord is about to release his wrath on these people, Abraham determined to pray. What a model he is for our lives today. My friends, he's bowed himself low to the Lord, showing reverence, desiring intimacy, listening to the word of God, and lingering as long as possible. And now Abraham hears the Lord's judgment is coming to this city, and how does he respond? And so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And he demonstrated his concern. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now that's a real concern. What about the righteous who are in this city? What will become of them? And so my friends note here in verse 23, a very important question, which by the way, the Lord has answered here in this book, in the book of Genesis itself. Anybody remember the event in Genesis 6 to 9 when the Lord came to a man named Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. And he gave him all the dimensions. You remember what happened? The Lord saved his family. And he judged the world because God knows how to preserve the righteous and condemn the wicked. And so here is Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord has heard of this wickedness going on in this city of Sodom. And Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked and offered this position to the Lord, this proposition, perhaps we might say. He said, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? I mean, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous Fair as the wicked, far be that far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole city. Hmm. If I find at Sodom, 50 righteous in the city. I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham says, well, what if there's only 45? We look at here in verse 27. Abraham had said, behold, 
I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, and I, I who am but dust and ashes. But suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous there. And again he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are there. What about 40? I mean, 50 and 45, but what if there's only 40? Suppose 40 are found there, and he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, verse 30, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there, and he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there, he answered. For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then here in verse 32, the Lord, then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. Why is Abraham doing this? What does he care? He doesn't know any of these people. What's he concerned about the wicked for anyway? Do they, do they not? Do they not deserve the judgment of God? And the answer is yes. And by the way, so do you. Remember the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. You and I came into this world with a nature of sin. And we demonstrated our nature and our actions in our hunger and our desires. We cannot get enough of it. Sure, one day the Lord was gracious and he made himself known to you and someone presented the gospel to you. And you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he forgave you of your sin. But don't you dare forget, my friend, that what we deserve is hell. It is by the grace and mercy of God that any of us, my friends, have the hope of heaven. You know what Abraham's concern is? He's got family in Sodom. Remember Lot? It's separated from Adam because, or from Abraham because their, their wealth was so great that the land couldn't contain. And Lot chose to take his, all of his things towards Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And ultimately, he is living in Sodom. Now, friends, if we didn't know the New Testament, we would think that he is as unrighteous as the others. But Peter tells us that Lot was righteous. Perhaps he was trying to be a flag in the ground that says, no, this is truth. When we get to chapter 19, we're going to find that he was a judge in this place. Perhaps trying to make a difference. And so here is Abraham pleading for these people's lives, perhaps hoping beyond hope that the Lord would not just preserve them but save their lives. 
save their souls. What about 50? You know why he stops here at 10? Because that's about what covers his family. Will you preserve a city for the sake of my family? And Lot hasn't been particularly kind to Abraham. Remember, Abraham said, you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You take the good, I'll take whatever's left over. And Lot did just that. Took the best land for himself. But apparently, Abraham loved him anyway. A lot of examples for us here this morning, my friends. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, verse 32, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. My friends, a friend is one who is devoted to the welfare of another. I'm going to say that again, help it sink in a little bit. A friend is one who is devoted to the welfare of another. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend to his family. Abraham was a friend to the lost. It's something that Jesus called us to be. You know the truth of the gospel. You know it. You would be surprised how many Christians on this planet do not even know what the gospel is. Last week I challenged you to go and talk to someone, someone who did not know Jesus and communicate the gospel. How'd that go, friends? Did you remember? Did you try to forget? Did you ignore it because it's, what, too, too hard? You don't have the resources? <laughs> you have the resources of heaven, my friend. You know the truth. But it tells an awful lot about our heart to say, I would rather see someone go to hell than speak up. What a shame. Well, you know, that challenge wasn't just for you. You may have noticed that this morning I have a new sweater on. <laughs> I also got my hair cut. The sweater we ordered online, so no opportunity for the gospel there. But you know what? You can't get your hair cut online. So there I am sitting in the chair thinking this might be the only interaction available to me, to someone who does not know Jesus. And so I asked the question. You know, you know, the question to these people who cut my hair, they always ask me questions. Are you on your lunch break today? I mean, are they doing an investigation? I don't know, but it's chit-chat, right? You know, let's talk. You know, well, well, no, I'm, I'm actually not. Well, where do you work? <laughs> Boom, there it is. Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? Well, my grandfather's a pastor. 
Well, then I have a question for you. You know, I'm sure you went to church, remember Sunday school as a kid and all the fun you, oh yeah, I had so much fun. Do you know what the gospel is? Now, I don't always start that way, but this person is professing that they have some kind of religious background. Friends, if you will prepare yourself to communicate the gospel, God will give you opportunities to do it. And then you know what will happen? You'll get better at it. And you will become more confident in doing it. And then you know what will happen? One day someone will come to faith in Christ because you weren't selfish to keep it to yourself. As a man named Abraham pleading with the Lord. He didn't have to know these people to have compassion on the lost. So as we look at this passage, friends, we could just review our own hearts a bit. What kind of host are you to the Lord? Is he welcomed? Is he reverenced by you? Are you eager to spend time with the Lord? And who are you pleading for today? Surely, There is someone that you know that is outside of Jesus. And because you know the word of God, you know their destiny. Surely there is someone you are pleading with the Lord to save their soul. And how is the Lord reverenced in your life? One of the test methods that I will use is about any of these things. Am I a man of God? Am I a man of love? Is there enough evidence in my life that a court could convict me of being a man of compassion? A man who reverences God. Could anyone put together enough witnesses in my life To say, I can testify that he lives this way. And what about you? Friends, this is the life that we are called to live. I plead with you to engage in these truths. Talk to the Lord. Ask him to conform you to the character of his son. The fruit of his spirit's work would be active and clear in your life. And you know what's going to happen? Your world's going to change. And you might begin to say, why are all these things happening? Oh, well, maybe it's the Lord at work. You invited him to do a work, and he will. None of this phony, baloney, plastic banana stuff. I'm not talking about phony prayers, my friends. I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand and saying, I need to be a different man or woman of God. I need to start growing up in the Lord. I need to be changed. It's time. Who are we fooling 
This ain't a hobby. This ain't a game. And surely he is worthy of it.